We turn to Job 19, reading the entirety of that chapter. The Lord's word endures forever, though the flower fades and the grass withers. The Lord's word is eternal. Give your attention to the reading of it this evening, Job 19. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you've cast reproaches upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me. Know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I cry for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. He has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. And my hope has he pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They've cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He has put my brothers far from me. Those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. Close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife. I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and the last will stand upon the dust. After my skin has been thus destroyed... Yet without my flesh, I shall see God. Whom shall I see for myself? Whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how will we pursue him? And the root of the matter is found in him. Be afraid of the sword. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword. So that you may know there is a judgment. As far as the reading of God's word, may bless it to us. So the Lord created us in his image, and he fashioned us body and soul as a unity. 
despite the many philosophies that try to identify us merely by our souls, we are body and soul. We are bodies. And Christ saved us also to have resurrected bodies. We will live forever in heavenly flesh. And yet, here and now, we don't always feel at home in our bodies. Now, when we're young and healthy, we don't feel this way as much, but as we grow older, our bodies can seem like foreign things. This is especially the case if you've been injured or handicapped. In a wheelchair, your legs refuse to obey. A paralyzed limb hinders you and gets in your way. Even a mind with dementia knows that it doesn't work like it used to. And chronic pain can monopolize your reality. As our bodies hurt and fight us as they age beyond repair, we often long to be free from them. This body that we are, we need deliverance from in the end. Well, in a similar way, Job feels the prison of his flesh. His own body wars against him. It hinders his cause, his cause and he looks to a time when he will be free from his body. So Bildad has just emptied his magazine on Job. With shot after shot, he laid out the law of nature, how the wicked suffer, are cursed, and perish in darkness. Retribution always comes upon sinners, and it describes Job to a T. There is no way that Job can be the exceptional righteous person and suffer the way he is. No, Job's evil plight can only be read one way. He is wicked, and he's getting what he deserves. Well, after taking this tongue lashing, Job now gets back up on stage. Job is down, but he's certainly not out. And he will speak no matter what. And he once again opens with a critical review of his counselors. How long will you torment me? And this how long has the sarcastic tone towards Bildad. Both times Bildad has spoken, he opened by saying, How long, Job, will you keep talking? So now Job retorts, How long will you abuse me with your words? Indeed, Job laments how their counsel is tormenting, crushing, and shaming. With a nice little play, they shame him, but they have no shame in verbally abusing him. The friend's shameful reproaching doesn't make them blush in the least. Next, he mentions how if he had erred, if sin was on his record, then the error lodges with him. Now, this means that if he is guilty of some sin, it should be obvious For all that he's enduring, his his crime would have to be blatant, displayed in lights. Instead, though, his friends only make generalizations about his sin. They hand out innuendos about his guilt. Note that the friends have made no specific charges of a crime. Sure, they've called him foolish and too talkative. They told him he needs to repent, but they've filed no charges. Instead, as Job remarks, they magnify themselves against him. That is, they vaunt themselves over him. 
all the friends talking makes them look good at Job's expense. This, their counsel then is one of self-promotion. And how common this happens. Someone will offer you advice, but every word is aimed at improving their brand and has little to do with you and your problem. It's a celebrity giving money to a hospital in order to get more followers on Instagram. The friends throw dirt on Job to make themselves shine. Thus, Job reminds them that his agony and loss comes from God. He says, God bent him. He made me crooked. He closed his net about me. Here, from verses 6 to 12, Job revisits what he said several times before. He lays out again how God is acting like an enemy towards him. This is God as foe, which again is a common motif in Scripture. When God judges without mercy, he's hidden in darkness, hides his face, and in full wrath. Thus, Job mourns how God will not answer any of his prayers or pleas. He cries violence, but the Lord hears not. Job sues for help, but God will not call his court to order. God has walled Job's path off, cast him in darkness, stripped him of any honor and worth, uprooted his hope, um, reckoned him as an adversary, and unleashed his army on Job to besiege his tent. What a terrifying and stark image in verse 12. God has sent his massive army to surround and besiege Job's itty-bitty tent. Talk about overkill. Yet in this section, Job is borrowing from another place in Scripture as he makes at least 13 references and allusions to Lamentations 3. Now, back in chapter 16, Job had nearly two dozen allusions to Lamentations, and here he adds another dozen, particularly to the third chapter. And as you'll remember, in Lamentations 3, a righteous man suffers under God who treats him like an enemy. Job is telling his friends that there is precedence for his experience. A righteous man felt the adversarial wrath of God before in Lamentations 3. And if it can be true for that guy of of Lamentations, then it can be true for him. But then in verse 13, Job continues to list the hostilities of God, but he focuses on how God has separated Job from all human relationships. He has been cut off from all human contact. God has made my kin far from me, he says. Now, there's a general progression here from the distant relationships to the most intimate. So in verse 13, brothers means kin, that's fellow countrymen, and those who knew him are acquaintances. Next, there are relatives and friends, hired hands, his personal aide, his wife, and then his closest friends. Yet consider the throbbing here of Job's loneliness and estrangement. His relatives have abandoned him. His friends forgot him. They defriended him and erased his contact info from their phones. Next, there are his employees and household maids. 
These are the folk that he worked with every day, shoulder to shoulder. He paid them. But now they judge Job to be a stranger, a foreign, a foreign intruder in the home. They call 911 on him. Who are you? Next, he calls for help from his personal aid. This is the man that Job was with from morning to night, but now he won't even answer Job anymore. This is Alfred abandoning Bruce Wayne. Next, his breath is strange and foul to his wife. Now, this isn't merely bad breath that refuses to be kissed, but married couples know the scent of one another. A wife can pick up a washed T-shirt and smell and know it's her husband's. Well, Job's wife smells him, and she doesn't recognize his odor. He smells like a strange man. She will have nothing to do with him. Additionally, kids mock and speak against him. This deals with the proper respect of elders. That is, youth had to honor their elders back in the day. But no longer for Job, if he stands up, the kids show him no deference, but they howl and spit at him. And finally, Job's most intimate friends, those he loved the most dearly, abhor him and turned against him. His buddies that swore never to give up on Job, who promised they would die for him, have turned their backs on him in disgust. Indeed, this section is even difficult to read. Can you imagine being abandoned and rejected by every last person you knew? Your spouse says, get away from me, I don't know you. Your neighbors shoot crusties at you like a homeless person. Your sister runs away in fear. Your best friend spits in your face and swears to never see you again. This estrangement is suffocating. The loneliness and abandonment is a Sinai pill. And, and note how his betrayal focuses on his personal appearance. Thus, Job concludes mourning his deformed body. My bones cling to my skin and flesh. He's so emaciated that his bones appear to be consuming his own meat and skin. He's a bag of bones. Next, he's left with the skin of his teeth. Now, this line in verse 20 does not mean escape, but left. And the skin of one's teeth are your gums. This means he's toothless. All his teeth have fallen out. Job is a toothless bag of bones that gums his words out. His appearance is ghastly. Thus, Job picks up here on a widespread aspect of life, namely that our bodily appearance is read as a window into the soul. We judge people by how they look. If you're healthy and attractive, God favors you. But if you're sickly and deformed, you must have done something wrong. We do this today, and it was big back in Job's time. Consider how the holy priest in Israel could have no physical deformities. 
The Lord favored Joseph and David and Abigail, and this was reflected in them being attractive. Thus, Job looks like something that has crawled out of a horror movie, and everybody forgets him, cannot recognize him, and hates him. Our physical appearance is a visual representation of the retribution principle. Thus, Job is lamenting here that his foul body testifies against him. He is upright. He can say he's innocent all he wants, but he looks like the curse walking. His body looks like it just crawled out of Sheol. With this ugliness testifying so loudly then, his words ring hollow. Job's own body is yelling that he is guilty. Thus he begs his three friends to have pity on him, verse 21. Pity me, pity me, he says twice. Have the mercy to see past my appearance, for God has touched me. The Lord plagued my body with running ulcers, toothless gums, hollow eyes, and limbs thinner than spaghetti. I smell like vomit and feces. I look like roadkill because the Lord afflicted me. Job, though, is not optimistic about his friends, so he charges them with persecuting him just as God does. You join God to hound me, to hunt me. You act like enemies towards me. And then he says, are you not satisfied, sated, with my flesh? Here Job charges the three friends with being flesh eaters. They devour his flesh, and they're not full. They cannibalize him and want more. Now this means to defame and shame him, but to repeat flesh means they judge him by appearance. Their judgment gnaws on his grotesque body as all the evidence they need that he's guilty. Like the rest of society and his family, Job's vile and deformed flesh is proof enough for his friends. His ugliness justifies them in shaming and abusing him as guilty as sin. Therefore, Job prays to be heard apart from his body. He needs to be disembodied, to be heard and not prejudiced by his own appearance. Thus, he wishes that his words could be written in a document. Even more permanent, let his case for his innocence be carved in a rock with an iron chisel and inlaid with lead. If only he could be read and not visualized then his uprightness would be evident. Upon an everlasting cliff with an indelible carving, his testimony of his righteousness would endure for all to read for generations. If he rubbed the lamp, this is what he'd wish for from the genie. Job wishes to be heard and not seen. He needs to escape from his grim body. He must be delivered from his own ugliness. His odious flesh testifies lies against him. His body presents a visual retribution principle, which is false. 
Nevertheless, the lofty wishes of verse 24 give way to more firm knowledge. When you play pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking for a bit, you often revert back to what is more certain. Thus, I wish for this, but I know this. And this is what Job does in verse 25. More literally, he says, but as for me, I know. This is a truth Job has confidence in. And this sure knowledge is that my Redeemer lives. And yet who is this Redeemer of which Job speaks? Well, one's Redeemer was typically a close relative, often an uncle or a cousin, who had the obligation to help you. Your Redeemer had the job to avenge your death and to get you out of debt. Your Redeemer would be your advocate in court and raise up an heir for you, among other things. Boaz was the Redeemer for Naomi in Ruth. So is Job sure that his relative will act as his Redeemer? Well, this seems quite unlikely after this long list that every last human abandoned him. His point was that all kin and blood hate him. And the last three people who are still talking to him, the three friends, are devouring his flesh. So if this Redeemer isn't a family member, who is it? Well, he says, my Redeemer, which is one of the favorite titles for God in the Old Testament. In the Psalms, and especially in Isaiah, the Lord names himself Redeemer, and the people call out to him as their Redeemer. Next, this adjective means living, which is also one of God's titles. He is the living God. In fact, this line is better translated as, I know my living Redeemer. Thus, as Job did back in chapter 16, he appeals to two different moods of God. God can act like a foe towards his people, or he can deal with them as their Redeemer. Hence, presently, God cloaks himself in darkness as an adversary. But Job still knows that God is his living redeemer. He expresses his faith in God as being the one who will still redeem him. And to add to this is the title in the next line, verse 25. This is not a temporal reference, but should be read as the last one, will stand upon the dust. The last one is another title for God. He is the first and the last. In fact, these two titles for God, Redeemer and the last, is a reference to Isaiah 44, verse 6, where they both appear together. And to stand upon the dust is to prevail over human frailty, transience, and death. Thus, as his living Redeemer and the last, God will overcome the cursed plight of Job. He confesses his confidence that God as foe will yet become his help and vindicator. Yet when? When does Job expect this redeeming aid? Well, in the first line of verse 26, it literally says, then, or after, 
they flay my skin thusly. He mentions them flaying his skin, which links back to verse 22, and the friends eating his flesh. The three stooges eat his flesh, and they flay his skin. Now, this sounds like they're them skinning him alive, which may refer to to them literally killing him or figuratively leaving him for dead. It's not clear here if Job is speaking about him dying or not. Yet the next line is Job's deliverance. Again, literally, without my flesh, I will see God. Yes, this line does not mean in my flesh, but without it. But why would Job want to see God without his flesh? Well, because his flesh testifies against him. His putrid body makes accusations against his uprightness. The disembodiment he needed in verse 23, he will attain so that he can see God without his lying body. Yet the word here for see is the typical verb for seeing in a vision, a visionary experience. Therefore, Job could mean two things. One, after his friends condemn him to death, he will see God in a vision. Or two, after he literally dies at his friend's hands, he will see God in the post-mortem state. Is Job then speaking about a vision in this life? or an after-death experience? Well, it's best not to choose, meaning Job isn't clear, and it doesn't matter so much. Job himself isn't sure. Be it in life or in death, this, it isn't the timing that is important. Rather, it is only his assurance that he will see God without his accusing body free from all false witnesses, even his own ugly flesh, he will see God. He repeats this three times. I will see God. I will see God for myself. My eyes shall behold him. And this vision is one of ideal redemption, vindication, and restoration. For when God is a foe, he closes himself off completely from you. He hears not your prayers, he smiles not upon you, he hides his face, and he turns his back to you. As foe, the Lord hides all his goodness and grace from you under a dark cloak. But to see God? This is to be reconciled, to feel his smiling face, to be vindicated as God's friend and beloved one. Despite his currently being cursed by God, Job has faith that God is yet his living redeemer and that in the end, he will see God without the falseness of his body. And he closes these three verses with confident, uh, of three verses of confident faith with another body reference. The last line of verse 27 reads, literally, My kidneys are finished in my bosom, or my loins even. Now, the kidneys were considered to be kind of like the heart. They were center of one's mind and emotions, your passions. And to be finished in your bosom hints at uh, perishing or expiring. 
Thus, Job's kidneys are dying to see God. He cannot wait to see God for his body to stop telling lies and to be vindicated as true and upright as the friend of God, his living redeemer. And Job finally closes off this speech with a warning to his friends. They deny pursuing Job as an enemy, so he warns them against their wrath. Literally, he says, wrath are the sins of the sword. Now, the sins of the sword are cruel and deadly, but so are the effects of wrath. Wrath does not have to commit murder to maim and slaughter. Well, the wrath of the three have pierced and flayed Job. Their anger has been throwing daggers at Job, and for wrath, there is judgment. Cruel wrath deserves the sword just as much as murder does. Nevertheless, by this clear confession of faith by Job, we see more clearly the enduring and blessed object of our faith. As we saw, it is true that Job is not talking about bodily resurrection here. This verse is not a proof text for the resurrection. Now, this does not mean Job didn't believe in the resurrection, but he's not thinking about it here. Instead, because his flesh embodies the retribution principle against him, he looks to being disembodied. He needs to see God without his flesh accusing him. In fact, there are links between these verses and the end of the book. In Job 42, he will see God in a whirlwind vision and be vindicated and humbled apart from his physical appearance. This could have been happened to Job after his death, but Job granted it to him in life. And yet, even though Job doesn't speak of resurrection here, he does showcase our ultimate hope and eternal good. To see God, this encapsulates our heavenly destiny. Job confessed here that his faith would become sight, just as we walk in faith, awaiting the day when we will see Christ face to face. Living by the light of Christ's face is the essence of holy beatitude and fellowship with God forever. And seeing God is to be free from all charges, accusations, and appearances of sin and death. Without his accusing body, Job will finally be vindicated in righteousness and confirmed as upright. Remember, only the righteous can see God and live. Thus, even though Job doesn't express uh, resurrection here, he does set forth the perfect restoration that only resurrection can accomplish permanently. Indeed, his faith in God as his living redeemer was his assurance to see God. And this title of living redeemer, the first and the last, is what Christ earned for himself. And how did Jesus win this title? Well, as he says in Revelation 1, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys to death and Hades. 
by his death, Jesus conquered death to become the resurrected one and so to become our living redeemer. The Son of God died to be your living redeemer. Moreover, what did Jesus get by becoming the firstborn of the dead? He got a new body. He put on resurrected flesh, which glimmered with his glory and righteousness. This old body, or the body of this fallen age, has to be shed, and the new body of the age to come was adorned. Hence, to give us that heavenly vision of God, Jesus has to give us new bodies too. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. This mortal body has to put on immortality. Our bodies testify that we are fallen in Adam. They witness that we are touched by death and impurity. We must be disembodied from this flesh and rebodied in Christ's flesh. And our glorified bodies have written all over them that Christ has made us perfectly righteous and eternally holy. Presently, Jesus' righteousness clothes us as righteous robes. But in heaven, our clothes will match our bodies. Jesus or Job may not mention the resurrection here, but he profoundly expresses redemption and restoration to God, vindicated as righteous, without this sin-corrupted and fallen body. Before Paul wrote it, Job says, I long to be away from this earthly tent, for to be away from the body is to be with Christ. So then may your faith be ever in your living Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And as your body fights against you, hurts you, refuses to submit, know that you will see God without this body. Rather, in glorified flesh, Christ will bring you to that beatific vision of God in Zion forever. Yes, praise the Lord for our living Redeemer. And come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, so that as we walk by faith, that faith will become sight.